be dismissed to children's ministry. They will be meeting in the uh, foyer with Kristen uh, to my left there. So we, we welcome the little ones to, uh, to join with them for ministry. Uh, we are, again, staying in Genesis 18, 1 through 15, which we looked at last uh, Sunday. And uh, we are, of course, going through the entirety of this first book of the Bible And we're here in Genesis 18, where the Lord appears to Abraham and Sarah in a unique way as a man, three men, coming to them. And we looked at the hospitality of this text. And so we return to this text again, Genesis 18, 1 through 15. The Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold... Three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three sayas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. Now, this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We noted last week that Genesis 18 may be the most significant Old Testament text on hospitality. Here we see Abraham and Sarah host three strange men, men from outside their known borders. And unknowingly, as Hebrews 13 tells us, they entertained angels unaware as they hosted and gave hospitality to these strangers. Two angels, as chapter 19 will tell us, and as this text tells us, God himself. We noted three things about hospitality. Hospitality is sensitivity to the stranger. Again, we reference Hebrews 13.2, which says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. And that Greek word for strangers, or entertain strangers, is actually one Greek word, philoxenia, which means to love people who are different than you. We notice the sensitivity to the stranger that Abraham had, but also, secondly, that hospitality is making space for someone who does not have a seat at the table. 
And that went not only for the three men, but we saw, rather ironically, how Sarah goes from being outside the conversation at the beginning of the narrative, in the kitchen, if you will, to a little bit closer behind the door, to when the narrative ends, she is talking to God himself. Verse 9 is the key verse there. Where is Sarah, your wife, they said. Abraham responded, she's in the, the tent. By verse 15, God is talking to Sarah and Sarah to God. So going from being outside the conversation to being right in the middle of this divine conversation. We noted how hospitality gives voice to the voiceless. It invites those on the margins in. And then lastly, we noted not only sensitivity of the stranger, not only giving those who don't have a space, a seat at the table, but hospitality is a sacred act in the midst of normal life. Uh, This normal, ordinary meal turns out to be a conversation with God. There's a sacredness to hospitality. And that's the mystery of hospitality, that God would take very normal activities and bless them. Now, we also noted that this isn't the first time that Abraham has encountered God. Genesis 12, right? There's where God comes with a definite call. Leave her. Go unto a land that I will show you. Genesis 15, Abraham encounters God. And God comes how? As a fire in deep darkness. In Genesis 17, Abraham encounters God. How does he encounter God? There. But with a very strict mandate, circumcise all males in your family and community. But this is the first time we see Abraham encounter God as a man. The narrative makes it clear that one of the three men is none other than the Lord himself. Verse 13 tells us that. The Lord said to Abraham. So, so, with the other two men being angels, God makes himself known to Abraham and Sarah as a man. He appears to them physically. Some uh, scholars would call this a Christophany or a theophany. Um, Yesterday we had our men's breakfast and some of the men testified about how they came to the Lord And what stood out to me in those testimonies of those men is in each testimony they described something that was intimate, something that was a personal encounter, something that was moving to them and had a reaction emotionally as some of the men talked about their testimony even started to have some emotion. And it shows us that God comes in a very personal way. And that's what's happening here. And it's different the way God has appeared before and in a very demonstrative way here, very personal, very uh, approachable, if you will. And it tells us something about how people come to the Lord. We all come the same way in that we come through Christ. No man comes to the Father but through Christ. But we all come differently. You can't pinpoint this is the exact way someone comes to the Lord. It's very different. And here it's very approachable. Oh. I want to focus here the remainder of this after giving that review in this sermon is on the conversation with Sarah. Because something beautiful happens here, something very healing, something really extraordinary 
in this context of hospitality is what happens with Sarah. It all begins in verse 9 when they say, where is Sarah, your wife? Abraham says, she's in the tent. The Lord then gives a promise. I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And the Bible tells us Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. It's it's very interesting. She's... She's outside the conversation, but she's curious curious enough to to want to hear what's going on. In verse 10, God gives a promise and says, what God has been saying to Abraham repeatedly, hasn't he? I will surely return to you and Sarah, your wife shall have a son. Again, this isn't the first time Abraham's heard this. But it's at this point, I believe, that Abraham knows this is God talking to him. Because who else would have known this information? God has already said this to him before, and now he says it again. Well, Abraham's heard this before. And that's what makes me believe that God came in this encounter, not merely for Abraham's benefit, but for Sarah's benefit. God comes in the most approachable way possible. Again, very different how he's appeared to Abraham previously. No fire, no deep darkness, no sparks, no booming voice from heaven, just in the hottest part of the day, in the siesta, if you will, he comes in the most approachable way possible. God comes in. And I suggest to you in this particular encounter, God came for Sarah. He's talked to Abraham multiple times before. But again, by the end of the narrative, Sarah becomes the focus of the conversation. She becomes the subject of attention. And what I want to stress to you is that gracious, approachable, empathetic way God comes. And what happens here, as I said already, is beautiful. It's a moment of vulnerability. It's restorative. And it's a sacred moment. And it all starts with the question, where where is Sarah, your wife? Now what happens after that, after Abraham says she is in the tent, is in some way very comedic, isn't it? First of all, the Bible tells us that after God gives a promise in verse 11, it reminds us that Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So what did Sarah do? But she laughed to herself saying, after I'm worn out, My Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And then God, knowing what happened inside Sarah, says, why does Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Gives the promise again. But then Sarah now, almost you can see, emerges from the tent. She's no longer standing behind the door, and she denies it and says, I didn't laugh. And then it ends with God saying, no, but you did. Now, Sarah laughed to herself. She didn't laugh out loud. And I want you to follow what happens here in these few verses because, again, they're very sacred, they're very vulnerable, they're very important. She laughed in her thoughts. It was a skeptical laugh. It was a laugh born out of hurt, a laugh born out of sadness. Now, I mentioned something last week in the sermon that I said I would pick up again 
on this week, and that was that Abraham and Sarah, at this point in their marriage, did not have a good relationship. And even as I say that, I could just hear someone saying, what? The father and the matriarch of the faith not having a good, whole, loving relationship. And the reason why that thought may stun us or even offend us is because we tend to think that these people were some kind of super saints walking around with halos on their heads. These are the heroes of the faith. And and so, I mean, we tend to think, sometimes even subconsciously, that these heroes of the faith, you know, had lightning bolts shooting out of their hands and feet, and they barely were being held down by gravity. They just kind of levitated off the ground. But I want to remind you, these were people. These were real human beings who got dirty, that got hurt, that went through life, that fell, that got back up. And the reason I suggest to you that there's some turbulence here and and the, the depth of hurt that's in Sarah's soul, is to just consider it. No couple goes through what Abraham and Sarah went through and come out emotionally and relationally unscathed. Abraham's whole adult life, what has he been hearing from God? But that I will give you a son. Now, what do you think, what kind of pressure do you think that put on Sarah? as she could not have a son when she didn't have children. How disappointed do you think Abraham was in her, even if it was an unspoken disappointment? I mentioned to you in previous sermons that in this ancient culture, a woman's ability to have children was supreme. It was everything. Therefore, if a woman could not have children, the cultural consequence was what good is she having children was everything in this ancient culture having children was your retirement plan having children was your security having children was your significance i mean we 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 don't have to go that far back into ancient culture uh adam smith who we call the father of capitalism said if you want a wealthy nation have lots of children well that doesn't work as much anymore today. But if you had a lot of children, they'd stay on the farm and they would all work and contribute to the family business. It it would not be a stretch to think that Abraham and Sarah, over all these years, that that there was tension between them and there was deep disappointment that she was not meeting the expectations that not having a child then in that context, that they would, people would think they must be cursed by the gods. Or what is she not doing right that she's not blessed? So it's very, very probable that this put a tremendous strain on their relationship. But not only that, not only the inability to have a child at this point in their relationship, but go back and look at the drama that Abraham and Sarah have come through, particularly Genesis 16. You remember the text. It's a messy text. Sarah says to Abraham, take Hagar and have a son by her. And Abraham does. Sam mentioned about how we fail to trust the Lord. And and here we see that 
played out in this scenario where they get to a point to say, if you know, it's not coming this way, so let's go, let's try a different way. Now, when I was a teenager, I used to listen to this preacher uh, on VHS. Do anyone remember VHS? All the kids and teenagers don't know what I'm talking about right now. But you, the, the video was on VHS. You put it in the VHS player. And he, this guy, this preacher, he was one of those preachers we called someone who could preach the house down. I mean, this was one of the best orators I think I've ever heard. And I'll never forget one thing he said as he was preaching on Abraham and Sarah. He said, the one figure in Scripture that I'll never understand is Sarah. And what he meant was what happened in Genesis 16. How in the world could a woman do that? How in the world could she, say, take Hagar and have a son with her? But I think Genesis 18 particularly verse 12, is giving us insight into Sarah's soul on why she could have come to that conclusion. Look what the scripture says when she hears the promise of the Lord. She laughed to herself saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? That's insight into Sarah's soul. That's insight into what's going on in her mind. That when Sarah came up with the plan between Abraham and and Hagar, she was saying, I'm barren. And I know you're deeply disappointed in me. I know you can't stand to look at me. You despise me. I give up. Go ahead. Take Hagar. Take that young, beautiful girl. Take the fertile one. And the scripture tells us Abraham did. Now, do you think it's outlandish to say Abraham and Sarah didn't have the best of relationships? Or that this relationship was incredibly strained. Sarah, in effect, at this place and season in life, had given up. She was wounded. She was deeply hurt. Not only by not having a child, not only by the drama and the volatile relationship that she had with Abraham through all of this with Hagar and Ishmael, But listen to her own words in the text, verse 12. She laughed herself saying, after I am worn out, shall I have pleasure? Now the Hebrew word for pleasure here specifically, explicitly refers to sexuality. So Sarah is not saying, shall I have the pleasure of giving birth to a son? What she's saying is, and the inference is our relationship is so strained, there is no intimacy between us. How could I ever conceive? Do you see the wounds, the strain, the hurt? Do you see the alienation that's here? And, and again, listen to her own words. I'm what? I'm worn out. Now the Hebrew word there is refers to like a piece of garment that is worn through. What Sarah is saying is, I'm like a rag at this point in life. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt worn out? Have you ever felt like you can't go on? Have you ever felt like life has just brought you through so much? I mean, listen, you live on on earth long enough, you'll echo Sarah's words. I am worn out. But she was curious enough to listen from behind the door and hear a promise from God. 
And God didn't come that hot day just to give Abraham and Sarah a promise of a son. But God, and this is what I want you to hear, came to bring healing and wholeness to hurt people. God came to bring reconciliation. Commentator William Lane says, God came not just for the miracle of a son, but listen to this now, God came to give them a miracle of a new marriage. And it makes complete sense. Why? Because God never comes just to give you a gift without also giving you the ability to receive the gift. It's not just about the gift. It's just not about the object or the thing or even the child or Isaac, but it's about the change that happens in you during the journey of the coming of that promise. Remember when we first started this church, I got an email from somebody, a stranger, and uh, they said, why do you need another church in Lebanon County? We have enough churches. So it's a, a warm welcome to us. We already have enough churches in Lebanon County. And they, wrote, they wrote in the email, what does your church have to offer that others don't? Well, I could have said, you know, well, we are the only North American Reformed Presbyterian Church in all of Lebanon County currently. But it's not even that. It's not just about building a church. It's not just about planting a church. It's about the people and the journey we go through and what God does among the people that God gives us in that journey of building the church. It's about what God is doing on inside of you. This wasn't just about bringing a son to Isaac and Sarah, but it was about coming and bringing healing and bringing wholeness in that journey towards the promise. And what does God do but to come to establish Sarah in the faith, the matriarch in the faith, to establish her in the promise and in the process is bringing healing to her very soul. Now, did Abraham and Sarah have their relationship restored? I don't, I don't know. But we do know it was repaired enough that they came back together, don't we? About this time next year, God says, you shall have a son. Now, you read between the lines of what happened there. The relationship was repaired enough. There, there, there was a restorative action here. In the relationship, and in, in, in response to Sarah's laugh, what does God say? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Some translations say, is anything too difficult for the Lord? Verse 14. You know, that's a terrible translation of the, to use the word hard or difficult. A better translation in the Hebrew here is what the scripture is saying, what God is saying. Is there anything too wonderful for the Lord? Is there anything too wonderful for the Lord? In the midst of pain, in the midst of hurt, in the midst of a person who was feeling worn out like a rag and felt like they had nothing else to give and had a laugh of skepticism, God comes as a wonderful counselor. What does Isaiah 9 tell us about Jesus, the prophecy of the Messiah that is to come? What will be his name? Prince of Peace, wonderful counselor. That's what God is bringing into this context of hospitality with Abraham and Sarah on that hot day. That's who met Sarah on that day. A wonderful counselor and friends. He brought healing to her soul. He was gentle with her. 
He was compassionate. He was loving. He bore with her. And his love drew her into the conversation. There's plenty of people that are... I've said this to you before. I don't understand people that don't come to church. The reason I say that is because uh, of our theology of church. Right? What does the scripture say? Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. It's even more as you see the day approaching. That we, we live in a day where people claim to be Christian and yet they don't even give themselves to a body, a community of faith. But we also could say we understand why some people are on the outsides, why some people are on the margins, why some people aren't on the inside. But maybe just like Sarah, behind the door listening, curious, but they've been hurt. They've gone through trauma. They're, 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 they're not quick to join. They're not quick to get around people. Listen, this is what God, the wonderful counselor, does for people like that, is draw them in by his love. Are you open to that? God doing that in your own heart? There's a comedy of this text, too. I didn't laugh. No, you did laugh. It's, it's actually comedic. You didn't know the Bible has some comedy in it. It's, it's comedic. And yet God is bearing with her through it. But it's not just comedic, there's a deep healing going on here. It happens in this encounter. That's our hope. That's our hope. That's why, are, why are we having dinners on Thursday? Why are we having men's breakfast? Why are women going to a men's retreat? Men go to a men's retreat? Why, why, why are we just to do these things? No, but as we come into the presence of the Lord, we come as broken people. We come as hurt people. We come often with, with uh, silent cries that other people don't know about, but God can bring his healing in his presence. And that's what happens here. Again, I refer to you what Abraham, what, excuse me, what Sarah said about herself. I'm worn out. I'm like a piece of garment worn through. Do you understand what Sarah's saying about herself? She's saying, I'm a rag. There was self-loathing here, even self-hating here. But listen, <clears throat> this is a woman who was so beautiful, Abraham had a, felt he needed to lie wherever he went with her. <laughs> Excuse me. Danny, repeatedly. But life can wear on a soul. Trauma can wear on a soul. Abuse can wear people down. And this is a woman who says, I'm like a rag. There was deep despondency. Deep, deep despondency. We know in ancient history, women who couldn't have children, they dealt with so much shame, so much self-hate. Often they just walk into the the forest or into the desert and give themselves up to the elements or the wild beasts. You don't have to read the Bible to find that. Historically, we know that would happen. There was such deep despondency. Do you see Sarah? Do you see her soul slouched over? And her self-identity so insecure and feeling so deeply insignificant. But God comes. God comes to bring healing. And she still has that laugh. That laugh. It's not a laughter of hope. See, ultimately, what are they going to name this child that comes? Isaac, which means what? Laughter. But it's going to be a laughter of hope. It's going to be a laughter of joy. That's not the kind of laughter here. This was a laughter of skepticism. 
And she denies laughing. Why does she deny laughing? The Bible tells us she was afraid. What was Sarah afraid of? She was afraid of what most of us are afraid of, vulnerability. She was afraid to acknowledge her doubts. If I acknowledge that I laughed, and this seems so outrageous, will I be rejected? Will I be alienated? Will I be deemed insufficient? That's what she was afraid of. Can I say that I'm struggling? Can I admit that I'm beat up and worn out? Or do I have to put on a pretense of righteousness and pull myself together and shield myself behind a lie? You see, sometimes people are so uncomfortable with their own vulnerability, they find it easier to be the host than the guests. Like Mary, they want to run around and serve, but God wants them to sit and allow his healing to come to their heart and soul. Blessed are the pure in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. What Sarah would find is the joy. Yes, she could come with her vulnerability. She could come with her hurt. She could come with her pain and not be rejected, not be cast out, but accepted and loved and healed and restored. Oh, the beauty of our God. The beauty of what God himself asks a question. Second question in the text, not where is Sarah, your wife, but is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Oh, I just want you to, if, there's, if you don't go home with anything today, I want that question to resonate in your heart and mind. I want you to ask it yourself. Is there anything too wonderful for the Lord? Is the pain and the brokenness so deep that the wonder of God's grace cannot heal it? That's what God asks. Is there anything too wonderful for the Lord? When skepticism comes, when doubts come, when fear comes, to be open to the surprise of God's wonder. Now, there's some practical things that need to be said as we look at this text and conclude this morning. There are some relationships that humanly are beyond repair. There are marriage relationships where divorce comes to be the only option. I want to say to you, when that's, if you're in that situation, that does not make you a second-class Christian. I'll never forget when I was a child... My parents were always very dedicated to the church. Lord used that church, used that pastor. But I'll never forget, they were in church on a Sunday morning, and they were uh, the church was asking for help in different ministries, as we do. We need help. And uh, my mom and dad turned to someone and said they would be willing to help in that way. And they said, oh, yeah, we need help. And then they looked at her and said, oh, oh actually, that's right. You've been divorced, haven't you? You can't do that. What I tell you, being in that situation does not make you a second-class Christian. There are relationships that are beyond repair. But whether you're divorced, whether you're widowed, whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're starting again, or you're in a relationship trying to make things work, here's the word of the Lord. Be open to the possibility of the surprise of His grace. Be open to the wonder 
of God's grace. You might get in such a situation, you know, and say, it's just, it, it's not going to work. I don't know what it pertains to. Maybe it doesn't pertain to relationship as it did for Abraham and Sarah here, or to the having of a child. But some area in your life where you feel like, you know, the doors are shut, the, 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 the book is closed, there's no hope. Yeah, where are we going to go from here? And even to coming into a place of such deep despondency or discouragement. And in the, in the midst of that, here's what I want you to remember. Here's what I want you to see in this, this ordinary uh, hospital meal, hospitable meal where God himself shows up. That no matter how dark things are despondent or how discouraged we get, we are finite beings. You know what that means? We are incapable of making watertight judgments about anything. We're incapable of making watertight judgments about others. Why? Because there's always a piece of evidence that might be missing because we're omniscient we don't know about. And so before you conclude that a situation or a relationship is beyond repair, consider the possibility, no matter how remote, that there might be one thing missing that you don't know that could mitigate things, that could heal things, that could change things in your life and in that circumstance. There have been many Sundays in our two years here that I thought, will we survive to next week? <laughs> but I'm a finite being. I don't know the way of the Lord. And all that limitation not only you know, is, reminds us of our humanness, but it reminds us the surprise of what God can do day by day to bring change. Or maybe you're here and you're like Sarah in that deep discouragement. You see what God does? God gives her dignity and affirms that dignity. Where I love it. Where is Sarah, your wife? Why isn't she at the table? And he, his love calls her out, reminds her, Sarah, you don't depend on Abraham for the definition of who you are. God defines you. Your identity is not in whether you can bear children or not. And hear it for today. Your identity is not in how much money you have or how much education you've accumulated. Young person, your identity is not in how many Facebook friends you have. Hear the word of the Lord. Your identity is not in whether you lead a church or ministry of 20 people or 2,000. Your identity is that you are made in the image of God. And if you are Christ, you belong to him. Is there anything too wonderful for the Lord? I want you to leave today asking that question. And as a church, as we think through this, think of the deep longings, the Sarahs of our day that want freedom, to experience the freedom to be honest about their brokenness. Think about the people that We want to be around a shared experience of brokenness to a people who are committed to walking towards wholeness in Christ. Think of all the people that you may know, that strangers that we may not know, who have failed, and but they want to be among the people who will be there to welcome them back and pursue them and even encourage them to return. 
Think of opportunity we have as a church to be a hospitable church and to ask God to bless the ordinary things that we're doing so that it'll be a place where the Sarahs of our world would find healing and love. Because that's what hospitality is. I, I mentioned to you, and I'm closing, but I mentioned to you last week, uh, Rosario Butterfield and other scholars, and her name is Christine Pohl out of Asbury Seminary. She wrote a theology of hospitality. This is what she says. Hospitality is a concrete expression of love. Love for sisters, love for brothers, love extended to strangers, prisoners, exiles, loves that attends to physical and social needs. And she says the Christian community, I want to close with this. She says the Christian community is surprisingly simple. The recipe for life in community is this. It is enough to get the love of God into your bones and live as if you're forgiven. I think that's what happened to Sarah that day. The love of God got into her bones and her slouching soul and raised her up again. And she walked as one who was forgiven in the covenant. You can too in Christ. Receive his love. Receive his call to the table and and eat with him and be nourished by his grace. Let's pray. Father, we respond to this ancient text reminded that you are a God of wonder, a God of beauty, a God who brings wholeness where there is brokenness. And we thank you that your word is life and light. We pray that you would bring healing to the slouched, withering soul. We pray, O oh Lord, that in those times that we feel like rags and our, we echo the words of Sarah, we're worn out, that we would be refreshed by your promises that are yes and amen and your marvelous grace that does not reject us but calls us in. And Father, we ask that you would create in us and in this church as a community a place of true hospitality, authentic hospitality. Lord, where we gather around as broken people, but we're committed to the wholeness that Christ brings into lives and families. Father, do it for Christ's sake and for his glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me as we turn our hymnals to 533. Let's commit ourselves to the Lord this morning in song.